please open up your Bibles and join me. We're going to be again in the book of James. This is our second week in this series, and we're going to be in chapter 1. So if you don't have a Bible, take the one out in front of you as I share each and every week. If you don't own a Bible, take the one in front of you home. Um, it's been encouraging to see that these have started to go again, so we actually had to place another order recently, um, which is a good thing because some of you have given into a fund that is able to make it possible for us to give those away. If you have kids or grandkids that are worshiping with you, you've got the Jesus Storybook Bible there. Those are also our gift to you if you don't already have one in your home um, because we want you to have God's word as you continue to worship and to study and to grow closer to him wherever you go. And so we begin our reading today in James chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits. Of all he created. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. There's a story about a man. He was, he was working very hard. We can all probably relate to this. He was working very hard to be on this strict diet. And he told everybody, I'm, I'm glad some of you are laughing, okay, so we can relate to this man. He told everybody around him so that he had kind of that peer support. And he even went as far as taking a different route to work every day so that he would not drive by his favorite bakery. Uh, I was thinking about this as I drive by Lakeland Bakery and I see that it's reopening soon. So I'm going to take some notes as I continue to read the story. So anyway, he, he was driving a different way, but one morning he came into work and he had this big bag of pastries from this bakery that's his favorite. And his coworkers knew he was on a diet, and so they said, hey, I thought you were on a diet. And he said, yeah, you know, I, I accidentally drove by the bakery. And as I drove by the bakery, I saw all of these pastries in the window. And I'm a spiritual man, and so I prayed. And I said, God... If you want me to have one of those pastries, send me a sign. Make there be an open parking spot right in front of the bakery. And lo and behold, there was. And it only took eight trips around the block before it opened. God wanted me to have a donut. How many of you have prayed that prayer before? Show of hands. I mean, let's just be honest. It was a variation of the same prayer, I've prayed it too, it's temptation. We've all experienced temptation, and I'm grateful that there is so much wisdom found in just these few verses about a topic that is so close to our hearts 
and our everyday experience as we continue in this series on James. If you missed last week, last Sunday, we started in the first verses of this chapter. It's written by Jesus' own brother, James, and he calls, he says uh, to us in the first few verses that we are to choose joy in the midst of trials. And the word trial in the Greek and the word temptation, what we're going to get into, there's a similarity here that there's a connection to our experience in the midst of this. And so remember what we learned last week was not that our suffering and our difficulties and our trials in and of themselves are joyful, but the promise of God is that he can produce something through those things. He specifically through James tells us that, that in the midst of adversity, we develop perseverance, we develop endurance, and eventually the gift of God is that we will be made whole and complete. And none of us are there yet. Jesus was always there. All of us are on our way to that place. And so that's the promise in the midst of our trials. And then we get into verse 12, which is a continuation of what we started last week. And so let me just read that verse again. James says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, this word blessed, same concept, same word that's used in the Gospel of Matthew in chapters 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus contrasts what we assume to be of great value on earth and in the kingdom of the world and what is of great value in the kingdom of heaven. If you look at just the first two verses as an example, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Nobody would say in and of themselves that blessed are the poor in spirit. How many of you came to church today and said, I hope to be poorer in my spirit when I leave than when I came. Anybody pray that prayer? Jesus says you'll be blessed if you do. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Did anybody say, I hope I mourn in church this morning more than I did when I came? Of course not, but Jesus says if you do, they will be comforted. None of this makes sense unless you have faith in a God that is in the business of turning otherwise bad things into blessings, turning sickness into healing, turning death into life, and he is. That's the Christian faith in a nutshell, and one of the titles that we used for this book last week is that this is Christianity for dummies. This is nothing new, but instead this book gives us practical examples of how we can live out that reality and what God wants to do in our lives through kingdom of heaven values, that we can be blessed and experience blessings even in the midst of our adversities here and now. And what that means is that God wants to do something in and through and around us as we have this universe universal experience that even Jesus had that we call temptation. Everybody is tempted by something. We are tempted each and every day. It might be a different thing, but we're all tempted. And again, even Jesus himself was tempted. And that right there tells us something that we need to get out of the way before we even get into this anymore. And that is that temptation itself is not a sin. 
Temptation itself is not a sin. And I know that because Jesus was tempted and Jesus never sinned. And this needs to be said. Temptation itself is not a sin because I don't know about you, but my first response when I'm tempted is almost always shame. Does anybody else feel that way too? When you feel tempted to something, you feel shame around it, right? I feel that way too, as if it's not hard enough to resist driving by the bakery, right? We feel shame for wanting to drive by the bakery in the first place. And so whether your temptation is pastries or whether it's the bar or whether it's a new car or whether it's attraction to a person that isn't your spouse, whatever your temptation is, your temptation toward those things is not an indication in and of itself that there's anything wrong with you. As a matter of fact, if you're tempted, you're human. (laughs) That's the only thing temptation tells you, that you are normal. Actually, that you are like Jesus. And for some of us here, maybe that's worth the price of admission, which is free because it's church. But maybe that was worth coming this morning because you feel so much shame in the midst of the temptation that you face. But don't leave yet because if you let go of the shame, because rarely is shame a good motivator anyway, what we will learn is the real root of temptation. If we can learn the real root of temptation, then we can understand its source and we can be protected from the consequences of when we actually give into it. We're all guilty of having given into it at times. And we can see that God actually wants to do something good in the resistance to it. Now, just because temptation itself is not a sin also doesn't mean that temptation comes from God. It doesn't come from God. And James makes that clear as well. In verse 13, he says, When tempted, nobody should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The second thing that we learn here about temptation, it's not a sin in and of itself, and temptation is an inside job. Temptation is an inside job. What I mean by that is it is inside of you. It is inside of me. It is not from God. And you need to know that it's not from God if you're going to see God as your source of hope and refuge, and strength, and not as the one that is putting you to the test. And this needed to be said to the people that James is writing to, because just like us, they believed that God is behind the temptation. But just like God is not the one who's intentionally causing all of our trials, and I I need to say that too, if I didn't say that clearly enough last Sunday, God is not, there's, we live in a broken world. And whenever anybody passes away, I remind the loved ones around them that death was not God's idea. Death is the inevitable end to this thing we call sin. Jesus came to redeem us from death. But there are things that we face in this world that God would have preferred us not to have to have faced. He has redeemed us from them. But this is not all him. Temptation is not from him either. He is our 
hope. It comes from within ourselves when it comes to temptation. And he describes it in that verse before as being dragged away by our own evil desires. And I don't know about you, but when I read that and this image of being dragged away, that's how temptation feels. That's how I feel when I feel most tempted. And as I was studying this week, I learned that it's not even a Christian understanding to understand that this is the way temptation works. Even the Greek gods understood this. Uh, Zeus complains in the work Odyssey to the other Greek gods and goddesses. He says, it's incredible how easily human beings blame the gods and believe us to be their source of their own troubles when it is their own wickedness and stupidity that brings upon them sorrows more severe than any which destiny would assign. It sounds crass, but it sounds true, doesn't it? Sometimes we are our own worst enemy, and it's this idea that makes the joke at the beginning funny. It's this misinformed vision of where God is standing in the midst of our temptations. God is not our tempter. He is not responsible for opening up the parking spot in front of the pastry shop. He did not do that. He does not make you accidentally drive by. It is the desire within ourself that drags us away. And that resonates in my heart, in my own experience, and it makes me want to lean in and listen because that's how I feel when I'm tempted. You know it's wrong. You know you shouldn't. You know it's not good for you, but you do because you can't help it. Oscar Wilde says this. He says, I can't resist anything except temptation. <laughs> Here's another one. It drags us away. This one I thought was funny. Lead me not into temptation. I can find the way myself. <laughs> can't you, right? And James says we do all the time. We know where our favorite bakery is. We don't need to punch it into the GPS because it's calling us from inside. Donuts, cookies. And then you say to the people around you, you say, do you hear that voice? And they say, no, they don't. And the reason why is because the voice is inside of you. It makes me think of, you know, October's coming, right? It's Halloween time. Does anybody like horror movies? Show of hands, bad horror movies, right? Remember the horror movies from back in the day when we used to have phones that attached to the wall? You know, those things called landlines. And the power would go out and there'd be a storm going on and the phone would ring and you'd pick it up and the person on the other line is inside the house. Remember that? Remember Remember all those movies? That's what temptation is. That's what James is saying is temptation. The voice inside is the voice inside of you. But remember, the voice itself is not sin. James continues. He says this. It is then after desire has conceived that gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. This is why we can't give into it, because it will drag us down. And it begs another question that I just want to name. Sometimes we ask ourselves, why? 
why can't I just give in to a little temptation here and there? Is it really such a bad thing? And it almost gives our faith a bad rap. It gives God a bad rap as if God is a wet blanket on all of our fun. Why can't we have a little fun? And I was doing a little research um, just, just this week as I was looking at this, and I wanted to find some articles about what people are most tempted in right now. And one of the first articles that came up to me was a men's magazine. It was an article that said, these are all of the greatest temptations for men, and these are the ones that you should indulge in, and these are the ones that you shouldn't. And I read that, and I thought, no, (laughs) this is not what James is saying. But I have to understand why, right? Because we all have these temptations. We've all given in to temptations. We probably have a list of temptations, some of which are easier than others to avoid. And so why does James tell us to avoid all temptation? And here's the reason. Because temptation itself is an invitation to have a legitimate need met by an illegitimate source. This sounds very academic. Let me read it again. Temptation is an invitation to have a legitimate need met by an illegitimate source. This is why James says not to indulge in temptation. What comes to my brain as I think about this is a child that's living in extreme poverty and they choose to eat mud pies to fill their stomachs. And they eat a mud pie to fill their stomach and it tells their brain that their stomach is full. But you and I know that a child cannot live on Mud pies. Reminds me of the story of Jesus being tempted. Remember I told you Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself. And he was was baptized. Remember the story. He was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. And he goes off into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and for 40 nights and to pray. And it's at the end of that time that Satan comes And tempts him. And the reason why is the same reason you and I are tempted. If you don't want to be tempted by the bakery down the road, eat breakfast before you leave the house. Okay? Seriously, because this is how this works. And so so Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days, and of course he's hungry. And so one of the temptations of the devil is that he takes some stones and turns them into bread. Remember that? And after eating, not eating for 40 days and 40 nights, do you think that there's even a molecule in Jesus' body that doesn't want to eat a big sandwich in that moment? <laughs> of course there isn't. Of course he's hungry. But he said this to Satan. He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The only thing that held Jesus back from giving into that temptation was that he knew that what he was being tempted to do would not ultimately fulfill him. He knew that he set out into the wilderness with a specific purpose, and that was that he was to learn to trust the Father in all things so that he could do the things that the Father had sent him to do, specifically to live and to head to Jerusalem, to die on a cross, and to rise again and to save the world from our sins. And if Jesus had not come to do that, and he had just come to eat, there would have been no reason to be fasting in the first place and and just for the record i want to point out jesus ate 
He wasn't like a monk that walked around for all of his years and just never ate as if he had some supernatural ability not to eat food while he was walking on the face of the earth. I did a whole sermon series a number of years ago. Some of you have been around for a while. You might remember uh, we talked about Jesus and all that it was called Meal with Jesus. And one of the theologians that I read as we were going through it, every week we talked about a different meal scene. Uh, one, of the, one of the commentators said Jesus seems to literally eat his way through the Gospels. And, and just think about it. He's eating with everybody. He's inviting himself over to people's houses to eat. They're inviting him over to eat. He rises from the grave and he eats with the disciples. He says, I'm hungry over and over again. He eats. But in that particular moment of temptation, when he's in the desert, he knows that God is up to something. And God is up to something inside of him that is so much greater than just bread. And friends, if you don't believe in your moments of temptation that God wants to do something better in you, if you don't believe that, then indulging in your carnal desires is a better option. Don't bother resisting temptation. I'll send you the article I read about the ones that you shouldn't. Don't bother with it because you know what? It's a lot of work. It's a lifelong battle. But if you believe that God has something better, heck, if you believe in love, if you believe in love, even apart from your faith, you know that sometimes we're called to say no to certain things because we're saying yes to something greater. See, even people who aren't spiritual know this. When just some very tangible examples. If, if your temptation is to pornography, and statistically speaking, most of us are going to have some issue with that at some point in our lives. If your temptation is to pornography, saying no to pornography is saying yes to your spouse. Saying no to pornography is saying yes to no longer objectifying and victimizing real human lives found on the other side of that screen. If the joke that you laughed at at the beginning resonated with your temptation, saying no to food, stopping at the bakery, isn't just saying no to something you enjoy. It's saying yes to a healthier lifestyle where you can enjoy the gift of life itself. When you say no to buying things that you don't need, how many of us are tempted to do that each and every day? You are saying yes to greater stewardship. You're saying yes to greater financial security. You're saying yes to the ability to be able to be more generous to those around you who have great need. All of those are gifts of saying no to temptation. You don't care about any of that stuff, fine. Don't say no to it. But if you care to be able to say yes to the greater things, the things that God wants for you and me, and say no to the things that are lesser. And this is what James is getting at. And he says that all these things, these examples that I'm giving you, they're just reflections of what God wants to do in and through us. Look at the next verse. He says, don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. At the beginning of the chapter, we talked about various kinds of trials. And 
The image that James uses is, is, is wind on a sea, right? And the crashing of waves and how it feels like it could be overcoming us. And we talked about how that is how trials feel. And in order not to drown in the midst of those trials, our call is to keep our eyes on God. Just like Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, right, when he walked on water. God is the source of wisdom itself. And so we get into this conversation about temptation, and it's all part of the same thing, right? It's related. We don't fully control temptation. I, I love this, this image here that he gives us a few verses before, that it's like shifting shadows, right? We don't have control over that. The temptation draws us in what we do have control over, James says, is where we turn our eyes when that temptation comes. And what we look to when that temptation comes will literally, the image James gives us, will conceive something in us. It will give birth to something in us. It will either, if you act upon the temptation, give birth to sin. And sin leads to death. If it's not literal death in the moment, it's death of a relationship. Because you gave into a temptation that broke a relationship with somebody else. Or a little part of you dies because you gave into the temptation that was not good for you. James says this is what happens when we turn our eyes to the temptation. But the alternative is to turn our eyes to God. And not just to God in a spiritual way, but to God in a way that we understand that every good and perfect gift begins with him. That he is willing to meet our every need. Because see, the root of temptation for you and for me is the same root of temptation that has been since the very beginning of time in the book of Genesis, right? Remember the Garden of Eden? God said, I'm going to give you all of this. You can have all of it, right? And there's all of this to eat. You will live forever, but don't eat from that one tree. <laughs> that one tree. And it's not because I'm a wet blanket, but because I know that if you eat from that one tree, you will die. And so don't eat from that one tree. And at the bottom of all of this, at the core of it, is a question of trust. Do I trust that God has what's best for me? Or do I trust that voice of temptation inside of me calling me away from God because the fruit looks good and appealing and good for eating and the serpent said that I should do it? James is saying that when it comes to our personal sin, just be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or talk to the person next to you. When it comes to our personal sin, so often we do know where it begins, don't we? We know where it begins. It begins with temptation. It begins with saying yes to that voice. It begins with looking to that thing instead of looking to God. And so if you want to have less experience with the effects of sin in your life, what James says to do, the most effective thing to do, is stop it where it begins. And stop it where it begins from the knowledge of knowing, first of all, you're not alone. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to all mankind. Again, Jesus has been tempted. All of us have been tempted. If, if you don't raise your hand, I'm not going to ask you to, but if I said who here deals with temptation and somebody doesn't raise their hand, they just don't know. <laughs> they're being tempted to lie right now and they're giving into it, right? 
It's nothing new. It's not even unique. You're human, right? No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so look for the way out that God is providing. Call someone and tell them, I really want to stop and get a donut right now. And I'm pretty sure that God is going to open up a parking spot. But I want to test that with you. I asked God to open up a parking spot. Do you think that's what God wants for me right now? I'm going to call Jennifer and she's going to say, no, Tom. Lakeland Bakery is not opening up as God's sign to you. It's not what it is. Sorry, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. Maybe that's why I picked the joke. But this is why, like, if, if you've ever been involved in Alcoholics Anonymous, which, which is based on Christian principles, it isn't just for those of us to deal with the temptation to alcohol. It's everything, right? And one of the first things that they do when, when you sit in an Alcoholics Anonymous group, first of all, you've got to admit that you have a problem, right? And then you've got to admit that you are powerless to overcome that problem, just like we're all powerless to our temptation. And one of the first things that they will do when you turn to your higher power, which is God, is they will give you a tangible sign of the presence of that higher power in the form of who they call a sponsor, right? Somebody that you can call when you're struggling and say, hey, I might fall off the wagon today. I need help. Or I did fall off the wagon today. Will you help me get back up that I might not find myself there tomorrow. See, God promises to do that for us. It's why the church is so important. It's why we love that people are able to worship online when you're gone or you can't come or whatever, but it's, it's not the same if you don't have people around you that you know. So I need to know Denise so that I can call her and say, I'm really struggling right now. I need to know the person that I'm worshiping with by name, that God might use them as that door out in the midst of it. And, and all of this is not some unhealthy legalism. Let me just say that as well. Again, we're all tempted, and none of us are Jesus, right? His presence is here in us, but I don't think he's sitting in the back pew, okay? Which tells me that we've all given into this. We've all given into temptation. Our goal in temptation is not perfection. Our goal in temptation, Jesus is perfect, right? We don't have to be perfect because Jesus already is. But in the meantime, <laughs> he doesn't want us to continue to live in our old ways. It's slavery. It's brokenness. It leads us to death. He wants us to bear fruit that will last. This is Jesus' words. James isn't teaching us anything new. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. James is saying that turning to God instead of our temptation plants the seeds of life. He's saying that we will become the first fruits. And you know, if you know anything about fruit, good fruit grows slowly, doesn't it? Over time. And it grows out of the adversity and pain of a soil of resistance. I was preaching at another place a couple of weeks ago about the, the vine and the branches, right? Jesus' image. 
And, and one thing that I learned about vine and branches and, and building out a vineyard is the best vineyards are vineyards where the plants are planted in soil that has to find its way to the water and the nutrients. Some resistance makes good fruit. And that good fruit is stronger and it actually makes better wine. James says the same is true for you and me. I don't like it any more than you do. The preacher up here being confident. I don't like that the only way that I learn perseverance is through trials. I don't like that I have to say no to that voice inside of me that's tempting me to all these things. Of course it's easier to say yes to those things. But we know that the fruit that God wants to grow inside of us is the fruit that grows slowly over time, over saying no to the things that will satisfy us in the moment, but not in the long term. And I was thinking about that way out that God promises us, and I was thinking about 1 Corinthians and how it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I'm mindful that we've all been overtaken by temptation, and I'm mindful that maybe the road out of temptation for you and for me, especially if you're feeling particularly convicted right now, is the road of grace and forgiveness that maybe the way out of your temptation is to be reminded that God has already forgiven you for every moment that you've given into temptation up to this point in your life, even if it was this morning. God has forgiven you. God does not think any less of you. God's grace is sufficient for you that you might get up today is a new day and try again and again and again. And I was thinking about this as I was trying to think, what's one example in my life where I'm tempted that I could share with you? And I had so many examples. <laughs> and so I'll share with you just one as we close. It was a, a conversation that came to mind not very long ago. And so maybe it was with one of you. I don't remember. Um, it, was, it was back when I was in spiritual direction. Uh, I went to a Benedictine monk for a number of years when my two oldest boys were, were little, especially Evan. He was quite small at the time, just a baby. And the, the entire concept, if you don't know what spiritual direction is, you, you go to somebody that's been trained. It's not counseling. Um, you go to somebody who's outside of your circle. They don't typically know you personally. They don't go to your church. It might not even be from your tradition, which is why I went to a Benedictine monk. And I would talk to him and tell him about my life, and he would ask questions to help me discern where the voice of God is, to help me parse out the difference between that voice inside of me that might be calling me away from God and that voice outside of me and within me through the presence of the Holy Spirit that's calling me to God. And during this particular time, I was unusual. I, I don't want to say unusually because it wasn't unusual. I was, I was, I was over, overworked and overwhelmed and overworried. And my temptation was to constantly think about the things that I was concerned about at the expense of my own family. And sometimes it was coming out in, in, in very tangible ways, like staring at my cell phone when I should be playing with my kids. But other times it was Alyssa coming to me and saying, you know, Tom, you're here, but you're not really here. Because your brain is somebody else, someplace else. And so I was telling him this, and he suggested the spiritual practice of sitting on the floor and playing with my kids. And I thought, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It does not sound very spiritual to me. 
But he insisted that it was, and he suggested that Evan, who was really little at the time, just kind of crawling around like our son Grayson now, he he suggested to me that I sit down with Evan, who can't even talk yet, and look at his toes. If I could catch him, right? (laughs) And marvel at his curiosity. And delight in the reality that I have this great privilege from God that I get to be their dad. And at the time, I thought, why am I sitting here in spiritual direction? This does not feel spiritual to me. I didn't get it. And I frankly didn't get it for a very long time, but I'm starting to get it now. I couldn't see at the time that what I was doing in a million small ways was saying yes to grabbing the things around me that were tempting me to grab on to a hold of them instead of seeing the presence of God right in my midst. And this Benedictine monk was telling me, stop it, slow down. God is right there in your kids. He's right there in their toes. And you need to look up to the Father in heaven and see that all these things that you're worried about is not what's most important any more than what Martha was worried about when she hosted Jesus and 120 other people was not what they needed to be worried about either. The source of everything that you need is already here with you. And no, it is not in the toes of my child, but it is in the creator God who made them. Am I the only one who can relate to this here? I don't think so. We do this all over the place, and we know better. Whether we're reaching for our phone instead of focusing on our kid, or we're reaching for our work, or we're reaching for our money, or we're reaching for a donut, there are temptations all around us that are asking us to say yes to the lesser thing when God wants to give us the greater thing. And so the next time you feel tempted to say yes to the neon lights of this world, remember that the Father who hung the stars themselves in the sky wants to give you the kingdom. And he sent his son Jesus who two things, resisted all temptations so that you don't have to feel guilty when you fall to it yourself. You can know that you're already loved and accepted and forgiven by God. But second to that, knowing that you're already loved and forgiven and accepted by God, may you have the grace and faith to resist temptation in the future when it inevitably occurs. My prayer for you and for myself is that when we hear the voice of temptation call, that we will hear God's voice even louder than that saying to us, hey, I have something better. Come and follow me. And so let's pray for that thing right now. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you. What a gift it is That at the end of the day, Zeus is right. There is so much evil and so much that tempts us that comes from a voice that's inside of us that drags us away, our own evil desires. And we can't blame this on any outside source. It's an inside job. But unlike the Greek gods and goddesses, we don't see a God who is distant from us. You are a God who comes near to us. You are a God who sent your son 
to get so close to us that he himself experienced temptation. He heard the voice calling to lesser things, power, food, the desires of the flesh. God, you did not see yourself as one that would be above those things, but you were above saying yes to them. You were in perfection through your son, able to resist all things. And then Jesus, at the end, you still went to the cross and you died as a consequence eternally so for every one of us that have ever turned to temptation and said yes. Who have trusted the lesser thing. We're all guilty of that. And you knew. And so you lived the perfect life that, that only you could live. And you died the perfect death to pay for our sin. That we might walk away from the times that we've said yes to temptation. And no longer feel shame. That we shouldn't feel shame for being tempted and we no longer have to feel shame for having given in to temptation because you take our shame, you take our guilt, you take our brokenness and you nailed it to that tree and it died on that day and you rose again three days later and James is responding to the truth that we are now invited into a new life and a new promise, and a new kingdom, where those who mourn will be comforted, where those who, meek will in, who are meek will inherit the kingdom, where those who are broken will be blessed. God, all of us have experience with temptation. Help us to hear your voice telling us that we are forgiven and redeemed and loved and help us to hear your voice louder than the temptation as we leave this place saying, I have something even greater for you. Say no to this and say yes to me and I will be with you.